views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Welcome to Transformation Talk Radio, Transformation Network, all of the above. Um, You know, I am really thrilled about today's lineup for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, first off, let me just thank everybody out there for their fabulous emails. And yeah, if you are like me, Maybe you found yourself in the middle of the day yesterday crying for no reason. I don't know, Benny. What was yesterday like for you? And off we go here. Eclipse day plus one. There was quite a few, uh, I guess, emotional outbursts on my side uh, with my boys. <laughs> so I might have followed you with that. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's, a po- it's, I think, a possibility of what we went through. You know, it's really fascinating Mm -hmm. to look at it. We're going to talk to Kabir about that today because one of the things that I've had to learn in my lifetime is how to be in the space and the energy of what is. And I'm finding that, you know, I'm doing that pretty well these days. But I must say yesterday was a really tough day for a lot of people that I got a text message first thing this morning um, about a a project that I'm part of. And, you know, we're in the process of raising funds. And it's hard sometimes for people to stay in the process and not want to get to that place of trying to make things happen faster than they want to happen or are supposed to happen or all of the above happening and just be in the moment of that. And for you, I mean, you got the boys. And when you got the boys, you got to be in the moment of that. I don't know how else you get around that. Oh, yeah. It's like glue. <laughs> it never I, goes I away. Know. <laughs> I know. I know. It, 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 and today is a new day. Mm-hmm. And I love this because we're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about this idea of mindfulness or the idea of consciousness today. Uh, Kabir Helminski is joining me here today. He's one of the world's most recognized teachers of Sufism. Uh, And some people say Sufism. Some people say Sufism. You know, honestly, for me, I just know that there is part of those traditions, that tradition that for me has helped me understand some of the strangest moments in my life. But here we are today, we're going to be speaking with him about this cultivating presence. 
why? Why do we want to cultivate presence? But most importantly, what is it and how do we know we're actually even doing it? Well, if you are he, then one of the things that you might want to talk about is the notion of being in that space, but yet being in the world. Today, we get to chat about his book, which I think is going to open up some doors to help us understand that there is the self, there is the heart, there is the spirit. But what about the creative energy? What about our human capacities? What about that thing in life that's called the essence or potentiality or power of being? That's what today's show is about. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Kabir, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's, I'm very happy to be with you, with all of you. You know, people have really been in a very interesting space, at least from the connections and the communication I've had about things here uh, in the past 14 years. It, you know, I'm a girl from the Bronx, and if you were to talk to me uh, growing up about cultivating presence, I pretty much kind of look at you and say, not really sure. Does that mean that I should wait patiently for the subway, or should I try to get myself up in the front of the line? <laughs> well, I, I grew up not far from you, Pat. I grew up in, uh, I was born in Jersey City. So oh, uh, yeah. I know yeah. about the subways and uh, all those connections and the A train, etc. I grew up, my teenage years were on McDougal Street in the 60s. Oh, yeah. So can picture that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I anyway. can picture that. I can picture that. But, okay, let's take a moment in time. If I said something like Cafe Wa to you in the village, Bob Dylan. Dave Van Ronk. Dave Van oh. Ronk, Bob Dylan, John Baez. Sure. Got it. How did we get here? How did we get here? Mm. Well, that's a big question. Yes, uh, it love is. brought us here. Yeah, love oh. brought us here. Mm. Absolutely. All the you way. know, let's <laughs> let's talk about this. I, I want to, you, you know, there's many things we're going to talk about in the book, but I want to ask you this que this question. You know, I've heard and I've grown up with and I've experienced that love resides in each and every one of us. Yet it could be, it could be the greatest secret that an individual has, having love and not knowing it. I'd love to mm -hmm. to to talk with you about that. Well, boy, you're jumping in deep yeah, immediately. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, all these universes were created from a spark of love. And I once said to one of my teachers something, and he responded to me. He says, well, do you think love is the goal? I said, well, isn't it? He said, no, it's the cause of everything. So from one point of view, and this may sound kind of like, sentimental lullaby to some people, but I'm absolutely certain of its truth, and that is that love uh, is the cause of all of existence, and the purpose of life is to come to know, perceive, experience how that love is manifesting in every moment, in every detail of, of uh, every human narrative. Mm -hmm. And this, everything is imbued with this mercy. And uh, I don't mean to, by any means, uh, 
dismiss or marginalize the very real suffering and grief of our lives, which is also mm-hmm. real. But even, you know, there's a prayer we say in Sufism, which is, uh, you know, when something really difficult happens, you know, protect me from the harm of it, but but let me find the blessing in it. Protect me from the harm of it, but let me find the blessing in it. Mm-hmm. So there's this mercy, this uh, this nurturance, this educating process that's going on so that human beings can gradually experience how uh, at the root of everything is this process of, of, of mercy, of love, of goodness being, being unveiled. But even before we get to that, we have to be yeah. really practical and not just be wildly idealistic about this, because people can just blow that off easily enough. But there is a process, there is a human process by which human beings can be led experientially to this and not just be taught it as an idea that they, they, you know, they wonder, how will I ever really know that or experience that? And I think it begins with this uh, matter of presence, which, which again, let's talk, may we talk about presence? Shall we go into yes. that? What, yeah, what, what yes, that, what, What's yeah. really meant by that? Because presence, first of all, it's more than just being in the present moment, as desirable as that may be. Right. It's more than just paying attention. I mean, you, let's say you were doing in a class of, you know, a uh, theater acting class, and, and the teacher said, now everybody be present, means it. let me have everybody's attention. But in spiritually, when we talk about, let me say, psychologically, in terms of consciousness, what we mean by presence is something really specific, and this is where it's so important to begin. If we look at our experience, most of us are, in any particular moment, either caught up in our thoughts, in in other words, we're in our heads, or we're caught up in our feelings and emotions, uh, which can be full of contradictions and good and bad. It may be, you know, joy, it may be grief. Or we can be caught up in our bodies. Well, how do I feel? Am I in pain, or is is this a pleasure, or am I too hot, cold? Human beings are usually occupying one sort of small part of themselves, and rarely are we a whole, rarely are we in a state of, of self-awareness, presence in other words, that can comprehend all of these things as a whole simultaneously. So what, what's meant by presence, and what I hope to convey in, in this book, Living Presence, mm-hmm. is the notion that we can develop this uh, slightly higher level of consciousness in which we are, um, well, picture picture a pyramid for a moment. Yeah. And at the base of the pyramid, you have thinking, feeling, um, uh, feeling meaning emotions, and then mm-hmm. sensation, behavior, or physical dimension. But then imagine the point, an apex of the pyramid, that is on a plane, on a level above all of those things, and yet can comprehend them, can mm-hmm. include them, can experience them. This is what we mean by presence. And you can cultivate that. I mean, just very simply for the listeners right now, I would say, and we're going to run through this really fast. Yeah. I'd like to give yeah. it more, more time. But just to get yeah. the idea, you could practice this on your own. First, be aware of your breath. 
next. Add some the sensation of your body. Keep it simple. Let's say just the palms of your hands. You're aware of your breath. You're sensing the palms of your hands. Now, you can also, from this viewpoint, notice thoughts that come in to your awareness. And also, at the same time, let's take sort of like a snapshot of what is your emotional state right now? Is it relatively peaceful, calm? Is it mm-hmm. in expectation? Or maybe maybe some people out there are in some, you know, some emotional discomfort. Right. But take a picture of the state of your heart. So imagine putting all these together, breath, sensation, awareness of thought, and a sense of what is my emotional state right now. Just be with for just a moment, especially with the breath. We're all now relatively in a state of presence. We're not just, you know, uh, limited to by our thoughts mm-hmm. or emotions. So that's it. Now, this can be cultivated in, in many ways. In a sense, it's more than mindfulness. I mean, with all respect, mindfulness probably goes very deep in some traditions, but it can also be just a kind of, uh, you know, present moment relaxation and stress relief. But imagine mindfulness plus heartfulness, meaning you're not only mindful, you're heartful, you're aware. What is my relationship to the person I'm with at this moment? What is my relationship to you, Dr. Pat? I've never seen Mm -hmm. you. I don't know you, but I'm going to try and feel that some relationship with you, your longings, your dedication to your work, your sincerity. I'm feeling that. This is heartfulness. And that's all enabled by being in a state of presence where where our attention is flexible. It's not just caught up in one thing or another, but our, our attention is, to some extent, directed by our will. Um and by by conscious choice. And I'm now in a different state as a human being. My attention is my own. Um, I'm able to have a conscious relationship. At least I'm open to it with you, Pat, right at this moment. Yeah. And, And theoretically with everybody who's out there, because why not? I mean, you know, we are brothers and sisters in spirit, in consciousness, in this human life. So we're all feeling this God willing, we're all feeling this together. Imagine that just by talking this way, we create a field of awareness for everybody who is listening at this moment. We're all in this presence together. No one is is even isolated in just their own presence. But when you awaken your own presence, in a sense, it merges with a a greater presence, Uh, all of those that we're connected with. So you see the possibilities of this? I mean, I'm, I'm... cramming a lot into very well, first space. Yeah, you know, here's what I, here's what I I hear you saying and also, you know, the way that, you know, I I read this in the book is that we have this opportunity and it's called life. And yes. you know, in the moments that we take that breath in and we take that breath out, there is an absence of time in a sense. And what I mean by that is I don't stop and say, let me take that breath in, let me take that breath out, let me do it in in order for it to fit a time box so that I don't suffocate myself. I don't do that. I mean, the presence moment of every breath I take, I have to be, my essence is of that. And I love what you said about mindfulness because, you know, listen, 
you and I were talking about coming from uh, being born in New York. And there's one thing that I learned in that upbringing and being born from there is a heightened sense of emotions. And why do I say that? I say that because, you know, depending upon where you grew up, in my case, the city was alive. We hear that it's alive. I live in Seattle now, and the city is alive in a different way. But one of the things that that I heard you just talk about, but also the book, what you're talking about in the book, is there is this moment of unlimited possibilities that we are actually part of. But if we are not in the, the idea, the process, Sufism, we're not in the place of cultivating presence. That moment is in front of us and we are completely unaware of it. And yeah. I mean, I'm kind of summarizing a lot of, a lot of things you wrote in the book, but for me, that was a lesson that I'm still learning and really value and treasure. I don't know. Am I yeah. even close? Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I think you. you've done your homework really well. I would, <laughs> add a little something to it or say it a little bit differently in this moment, Mm -hmm. and that is that on the one hand, we are human beings embodied in time, Mm -hmm. and yet we have a capacity for presence that makes us uh, less, uh, you know, less uh, uh, governed by linear time and and the, the quantitative time. So we have a capacity in ourselves, I would say, that Part of us is in an eternal time, or timelessness. And from that timelessness, we view the world of time. That's another way of of describing presence. Timelessness viewing time. Uh, Because when we're purely in that consciousness, that consciousness um, is in a certain way outside of time. This may sound like abstract philosophy, but for me Mm -hmm. it truly is experience. And so from that let me put it another way, mm-hmm. and this is really important. Every human being not only has this life and its circumstances, which may be pleasant or unpleasant or wonderful or terrifying, the circumstances are always changing, but we also have, and I say this with absolute con- with conviction and certainty, that we as human beings, through consciousness through our own spirit have access to a state of being beyond circumstances. Mm-hmm. Make sense? A state it of does. Being beyond circumstances. And in that state beyond circumstances, we're okay. <laughs> There's well being. <laughs> there is there is something there that is blessed, that is conscious that is, in a sense, undisturbed and even um, uh, invulnerable mm-hmm. in, yeah. in that pure, pure, deep state. Now, this state is not, uh, I realize most people cannot just say, uh, snap their fingers and be in that state automatically. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we do the spiritual work with consistency, in other words, if we are, if we, practice, meditation, contemplation, mantra, chanting, zikr, as we say in Sufism, remembrance of God. Uh, And if we worship, and by worship I mean 
not formal church-going worship necessarily, but a state of reverence for being. Mm -hmm. Um, If we practice these things more and more, that part of us that is is beyond circumstances will become real to us. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I love that we're talking about, too, is, and I know you're going to talk about this today uh, as well, as we hear things like cultivating presence, right? And it's almost as if that was for people like thousands of years ago. But tell me how I can learn from this today. And that's the $650 million question, isn't it? Because there is the answer to that. I mean, isn't it this integrated spirituality, let's just call it, I like to call it spiritual harmony, but it is this that perhaps could provide answers to what we call a world of chaos. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd love for here for, for for to get your thoughts on that. Well, it's, right. It's, this is not something archaic and something of mm-hmm. the past. In fact, it's the the need for it is more urgent than ever because yes. to the extent that we live in an artificial technologized reality and we have we're no longer like you know our ancestors probably were mostly agricultural people or at least close to nature uh you know for millennia and uh people were living in a more natural environment and in that natural environment presence is a bit more natural it's not automatic but it's you're less at least uh distracted less uh living in a state of of continual stress. So in today's world, in order to balance the challenges to our humanness, um, presence is is the foremost remedy. It's it's urgently needed. And because, you know, I believe humanity faces, is facing a choice of futures. Are we going to face a human future or a non-human future? And we are very humanist needs uh, reinforcement. It needs awakening so that we don't just become uh, machine-like as so many things around us. And all of this talk of artificial intelligence and, and Ray Kurzweil's stupid, if I may say so, idea of conscious machines, machines will never be conscious um, because they have no soul. And consciousness is soul. And um, so we need, but human beings can become machines. Machines can never become human, but human can become, humans can become <laughs> machines, unfortunately. And in fact, there are many forces operating on us that make us more robotic, uh, less heartful. And tyrannies run on this, bureaucracies sometimes run on this. But there's such an urgent need to awaken our humanness, and the essence of our humanness begins with this presence and ultimately leads to heartfulness, and the heart is infinite, and what the heart can open us to is infinite. And that's yeah. yet an even bigger subject. Yeah. It begins with yeah. presence. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the conversation. It really is, you know, something that we look at and we have a notion about. Now, many, many of us have gone through many, many different aspects of life. 
you know, some that cause us joy. And we have this idea that the external environment causes us, right? You like that phrase? You know, I lost my job. Therefore, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G about how depressed I am. Or yes, I have lost a loved one. And of course, I'm grieving. But how does that become now the story of my life or not? Um, And I want to take a short break. When we come back, I would love to talk with you about looking at these traditions. I mean, you know, tradition of Rumi, looking at um, Sufism and ask ourselves the question, you know, how is it that we are able to have a notion of understanding about heart, but yet one of the most difficult challenges we have is to implement it in our day-to-day life and in the world. When we come back, I would love to talk with you about cultivating presence that can cultivate our humanness and the idea of spirituality and love. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. I was six years old, I broke my leg I was running from my brother and his friends And tasted a sweet perfume Be you plus live your purpose equals joy. That's the motto of Unstuck Joy with Vicki Todd. Vicki believes you were born with gifts that are meant to make the world brighter. Each show will feature an art visioning journal prompt to help you create your way to soul clarity. If you're ready to get unstuck and create more joy, this show is for you. Tune in every month on Transformation Talk Radio. For more information, visit VickiWorldArt.com. A word of caution, if you prefer the status quo and you are not interested in improving every aspect of your life, this book will trigger the shift out of you. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens is available now. Author Colette Steffen brings the powerful knowledge and life-changing energy and empowerment from the radio airwaves to the pages of her new book. To get your copy in paperback or ebook, visit thetruthisfunny.com today. Brand consultant Jen Morgan is here with Radically Distinct Radio to help you take control of your future and maximize your brand's power to produce results. Whether you're an individual trying to reinvent yourself and launch a new venture, or you're an executive trying to reposition your company to modernize your sales and marketing programs, Jen Morgan and the Rad Method empower you to play to your strengths and show up in the world as your most powerful brand. To learn more, go to jenmorgan.com, that's Jen with two N's, morgan.com, or call 206 9 725366 theangellady.net 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 1-800-323-1790 1-800-323-1790 Sue Storm Sue Storm TheAngelLady.net. 
Isn't it time to put your health first to give yourself the gift of whole body wellness? What if embracing unconditional love and self-care was the first step to wellness? Could you honor that for yourself? My name is Audrey Michelle, host of Rewired Life Radio and the author of Rewired Life, A Journey to Untangle Chronic Pain and Endometriosis. In my book, I share how I healed from 17 years of chronic pain and disease. Get your signed copy at audreymichelle.com slash book, spelled M-I-C-H-E-L dot com slash book. Amber Teal, founder of The Healthy Edge, is bringing you the hit show Healthy Edge Radio, living with power, passion, and purpose. Amber provides the support and tools necessary for you to finally release the weight and emotions that are hidden beneath the weight. Tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio. For more information on how you can take the next step with Amber, visit GetTheHealthyEdge.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the Dr. Pacho Transformation Talk Radio. Um, uh, and, you know, today we're talking about cultivating presence, the hows and whys. Kavir Haminsky joining me here today. And, uh, Benny, we have three copies of the book to give away. I think it would be really good to go ahead and do that right now. Um, first caller, let's go ahead and do this because I, I know, like, Kavir and I just going to get going here and uh Losing track of time as usual. 1 800 930 2819. We'd love to give first copy away and then we'll just go right through. Uh, Kavir, thank you so much for today. You know, um, there is, and you and I were kind of talking during the break, um, there are new energies around what it means to be spiritual in the world. And I'm not just talking about Sufism or other traditions. I'm even talking within the ranks of Christianity, um, uh, especially here in the United States. But the question really is, the idea of spirituality, the idea of talking about being spiritual is very different than decades and decades and decades and decades where we put this box around what we believe. And I wanted to start this out by asking you, when we think about Sufism, what would you say is one of the greatest misconceptions or one of the greatest misbeliefs the world, the world might have about it? Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I think we don't really understand very much about Sufism mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so perhaps if I try to say a little bit about what I've experienced in, through my own tradition, which is Rumi's sure. tradition, yes. what it's actually like when you meet the actual practice rather than, for instance, just reading some ecstatic poems. Of Rumi's. Uh, people have read, okay, so some of the really obvious misconceptions are that Rumi was writing a kind of uh, a very energized, mystical, sometimes almost erotic uh, love poetry. That's one misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And uh, because 
Persian poetry used the language of sensuality, of rom- of, of romantic love as a metaphor, because God was is the beloved for the for the Sufi, mm-hmm. and that devotion to the divine is what it's really about. It's about our need. Uh, it's about our, our need for the divine, for the divine what's called the beloved sometimes. Mm-hmm. In the West, we have uh, we are so individualistic that we see, okay, maybe we've rejected dogmatic religion for good reasons, because much of it I would call man-made religion and not uh-huh. something that the divine really offered us, but human beings have theologized and conceptualized and and, and created man-made religions, man-made beliefs. Just we might as well get rid of a lot of that. But you know, there is still the I would say at the heart of Sufism is the recognition that we need this relationship with the divine. Now, what is the divine? It's not a dualistic conception where there's God and me, and God is the beloved, and I'm the lover, and. On the one hand, that language is used, but in Sufism there is a profoundly non-dual understanding as well. In other words, uh, we could we could put it this way: that every human being uh, is a hologram of the all, and that all is the divine, and we are a hologram of that divine totality. And in a sense, nothing else exists but God, but Allah. And Allah for us is not the God of Islam. Allah is the the reality, that whole non-dual reality. So we need to experience that and realize our profound need to be uh, blessed, guided, nurtured, by this infinite love, which we can find, we can find it in our own hearts, not that it's isolated as a thing in our individualities, but through the heart, it's as if we open a window to the infinite. So, one of the things about Sufism, opening a window to the infinite, to really do that requires a profound humility. In other words, to make that connection, there needs to be a devotion, a love mm-hmm. of this beingness. Being sounds abstract, but in fact, what we mean by being is anything but abstract. It's rather hyper-personal. It's like, it's like the God you prayed to when you were a four-year-old child, in all sincerity, the divine is that and much more. And so Rumi was intoxicated with this. Rumi, uh, you know, Rumi was not just in some highly energized, ecstatic state of individual consciousness. No, Rumi was melted, dissolved in this uh, totality, this of divine being, this ocean of of divine beauty, and he wanted everybody to know that, and he wanted to share that. So. It is both, it is the rejoining of the part with the whole, um, and it is a profoundly non-dual experience, and yet we only, we have the best chance of attaining that is not through strategizing to become a more conscious person, though that's a good start, 
uh, it is something more about melting into this divine reality without necessarily, uh, you know, losing our individuality. The paradox is that it's not an either-or situation, but it's a both-and situation. And I feel like reading something from uh, from some room, yeah. just a few lines. Please, please, uh, yes. And this is at the prologue of Book 3 of Rumi's Montanawi. So it's like an introductory part in which he's talking about the sciences of wisdom. And he says, so wisdom and knowledge is necessary in this process. Don't ever think, uh, Rumi is telling us, you need knowledge to attain love. Because if you don't have the right knowledge, you won't really know what's Mm -hmm. truly worthy of your love. You'll fall for the imitations of love. You'll, you'll make idols out of something less than that complete divine love. So he says the sciences of wisdom are God's armies by which he strengthens the spirits of the initiates and purifies their knowledge from the adulteration of the ignorance and purifies their justice from the adulteration of the bias and purifies their generosity, their generosity from the adulteration of ostentation, and their forbearance from the adulteration of foolishness, and brings them and brings near to them whatever was far from them in their understanding of the hereafter, and makes easy to them whatever was hard for them in respect of obedience and energetic endeavor. So he's speaking to the human being, and he's saying that, in a way, he could summarize this by saying, okay, he strengthens the spirits of the initiates, he removes the ignorance from their knowledge, he removes bias from their justice, he removes ostentation from their generosity, he removes foolishness from their forbearance, and he and this divine, or these sciences of wisdom, help us toward obedience, by which he means really awareness of spiritual laws, awareness yeah. of how things really work, and, yeah. and makes our endeavor energetic. He energizes this quest that we're on. So this is just one little snippet of his 20,000 lines, but you see, feel the power in this, the beauty yeah. in this, the, the incredible uh, urgency and yeah. need to be infused uh, by this divine energy, rather than to be always, uh, in a sense, approaching this more individualistically or egotistically as a strategy for my own ego to be a more conscious, maybe a more ecstatic person. You know, we, we this is, Westerners especially, are so uh, conditioned by this egoistic perspective that we have a hard time ever seeing from the divine perspective. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is, one of the earliest lessons I was taught on the spiritual path, this is kind of uh, very subtle, but my teacher said, walk out into nature and allow yourself to be seen by Allah. Now, what I experienced in that was I had been looking exclusively through my own perspective at everything. 
you know, and and my presence was somewhat limited, and I could only see things through the viewpoint I had. Here was a chance where my own viewpoint, while not completely lost, somehow was expanded. So that I could allow myself to go out and, in a sense, be seen. The trees were seeing me. The clouds were seeing me. Uh, and I became just, you know, uh, this aspect of the landscape and this wider vision unfolded and this greater awareness unfolded. And at the same time, this ultimately led to an experience of being loved by this greater field of being and that, you know, this, this individual being called Kabir Helminski full of his own contradictions and limitations mm-hmm. and fears and, and inadequacies could experience being loved by this infinite divine something. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge shift. And having experienced that, then what was left of my individuality longed to kind of be worthy of that, longed to kind of do the work to serve, to, 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 to be worthy of that experience, and to not lose that experience, not forget mm-hmm. it. Make sense? It does. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about and talk with you about is, is the, when we're able to be in that presence, to be in that space, let's just call it that, to be in that space, you know, I'm reminded of, you know, individuals like Viktor Frankl. And I'm huh? just, I'm, I'm reminded about what is it about, about him that was so unusual or different from the capacity that any of us might have. And when we really look at that and we look at you know, what it was he did in a concentration uh, camp, how he was able to create a different perspective. You you know, the thing I'm struck by is that it does go beyond the mind and mindfulness. And, And so, you know, we live in a world, in this country at least, we live in a world where we do have hardships, but we don't have to become our hardship. And, you know, the question that I think I want to ask you about has to do with, you know, Sufism in a modern day world and what it is that we could know and experience and also, most importantly, I think, practice um, to be at a place where we truly get the magnitude of a love presence. Well, uh, the way this is done, there are a number of ways this is done mm-hmm. in the Sufi tradition. Mm-hmm. It begins with something we call adab, which is spiritual courtesy. Believe it or not, in Rumi's tradition, perhaps the foremost practice is not, you know, hours and days of deep contemplation, though we do mm-hmm. that too, but but this refinement of manners, of courtesy, of how you treat other human beings, and even the material world. Um, everything is done with this, this huge respect for every human being and everything. Even when we, as, as Sufi picks up a teacup, they, they uh, subtly kiss the cup before they even sip it. Uh, 
or they mm-hmm. sit on a, a cloak and you kiss your cloak and you walk on a carpet, you bless the carpet because it's in service to you. So it all begins with this adab, this spiritual courtesy, which is also demonstrated to the teacher um, because of their function of serving the teaching, and it's demonstrated to your fellow Sufis, dervishes, fellow seekers, because, you know, you've all been brought together by a common yearning. So this kind of moderates egoism a lot. So that's one practice. Another practice is the constant, uh, I mean, another very important practice is remembrance of God, yeah. which is done through the divine names in, its, in the simplest way. It's done through you know, chanting the names of God, whether it mm-hmm. be Allah or Yanur, which means God the, who is light, uh, mm-hmm. or Yawadud, God who is all-loving. So by invoking the divine names, you invoke the reality of those names. Uh, when you say Ya Latif, which means God is subtle and beneficent, you say Ya Latif a thousand times, and the reality of the ways in which God is subtly beneficent becomes real to you. So you enter into this realm, this qualitative realm, that is beyond the usual, you know, rough-and-tumble, egotistical human world, let alone the commercial consumer world, you enter into this other dimension of divine qualities, and that becomes real for you, and you even begin to see this life as the manifestation of divine qualities. And then finally, I'll add one more aspect of the practice, and, and I'm really simplifying this a lot, for today. It is the continual warriorship with the ego. It's observing your own false self. By, by ego, I mean, in this case, I mean false self. We will never be without some sense of I, but that sense of I can, at the lowest level, be a tormented, addicted, enslaved self. Mm-hmm. At another level, moving up higher, it can be a, a healthy, uh, you know, uh, integrated uh, positive self, yeah, which is a good thing to have. Yeah, and then, but but at a much higher level, the self becomes something so subtle, so inclusive that a self at that level looks into another's eyes and sees their own self in the other's eyes. But yeah. there's always a sense of I. But what kind of I is it going to be? In Sufism, we talk about seven different levels. I've given you sort of three points on that scale, from a tormented, enslaved self up to a self that is so subtle that it is uh, inclusive and not oppositional and, and uh, feels its, uh, immediately senses its unity, senses the oneness, because it's been through a process of purification. And the way you get there, the way that happens, is through constant warriorship with the false self, examining our motives, uh, not living a life where the main purpose of our life is to satisfy every craving and every demand of that false self for attention, for prestige, for privilege, for pleasure, for control of the environment, little by little, dying to all of those things, but dying in love so that the self that is in that state of love, which is your true being, your mm-hmm. true I, your real I, your essential self, 
can emerge and begin to live life for you rather than having your false self, you know, tyrannize your heart. <laughs> yeah. And I'll I, say one, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so I'll say one more thing that is really yeah. important because I have another book called The Knowing Heart, and it was written uh-huh. after Living Presence. So Living Presence just came out in its 25th anniversary edition, which I'm very happy yes. about. It was was rewritten and so forth. But the other book is called The Knowing Heart, Knowing Heart, meaning the heart is our most important instrument of knowing, of knowing reality. And to put it as simply as possible, it is through the heart that we know this existence qualitatively. And by qualitatively, I mean sensing value, sensing what's important, Sensing relationship, appreciating relationship, uh, sensing the awesomeness of just existence, of just being human, of having been given this faculty of the heart. That the heart is like, think of the heart as a cognitive instrument that perceives a universe of qualities, which is the real universe. You know, the universe is not just uh, as as even quantum physics would propose, it's not just a world of quantities and energies, and, and even as, as amazing as that is, but we are simultaneously living in a qualitative universe, which is the, the dimension through which we sense value. And the more the heart is awake, the more the heart is purified, the more it lives in a reality that is so full of meaning and beauty and value and preciousness and tenderness and, you know, all of the richness of human relationships and and memories and and creativity and all of this uh, begins to enhance and fulfill our humanness. So the heart is central to this, and any true spirituality is, I would say spirituality is what, um, awakens mm-hmm. and perfects and purifies the heart. Yeah, and, you know what and I, the main work has to do with our egoism, our false self. You know what I find interesting in the day and, and age we live in is that we're not just talking about really having that full expression that you just described when life is really great and life is really good. We're not talking about an on and off switch, I don't believe, that says, okay, now I've got, now let me do this. Let me turn on, let me just turn on this integrative fullness expression uh, of, you know, that part of me that embraces compassion. We're talking about a way of living that has this essence of all of what you just said, regardless of the outside world. Isn't that, isn't that really what our, our game plan is to really learn and become part of a process that enables us to be kind in the face of anger? I mean, Absolutely. yeah, because yeah, I think it's great that we're all like, you know, having a great time. We're all happy. Life is good. Nothing really going on in our lives. But that's not really life, right? right. You know, right. And, and we got to see it play out in our country here a week ago of what happens when anger shows up. And 
you know, I can't believe that we've been given our humanness to be that. Right. And nor in our response to that, nor should our response mm-hmm. to that be, be anger in the sense of, of rage towards those poor people who yeah. are living in that hate, hatefulness. Because how did right. they get there? These right. are people who are so wounded. I mean, they're vicious. Let's, not, let's be clear. That was a vicious bunch of, of people from all eyewitness accounts. Yeah. But how did, how did they get to be like that? How, right. how have they been rejected? How have they been wounded? How have they sought this crazy mob to be their spirit, their spiritual family? Uh, these and I, you know, you can look. There are some books on on um, white uh, supremacists yeah. who have given it up and who have realized and have come yeah. out of that and talk about, you know, just the sad state of those souls who are who feel that hatefulness because. You know, it's a false part of themselves, but they're deeply wounded, and they're not going to be, you know, they need uh, they need to be recognized, mm-hmm. and we can't afford to be, it's not going to do any good to be reactive toward them. If we could ever be around such people, uh, it would be our responsibility to somehow be calm, be present, be loving, even in the face of that ugliness because it's only in that way that they could actually experience the ugly as mm-hmm. ugly. Now, yeah. I want to say something about remembrance, sure. which is, this is really Good. important. Wait. because Yeah, artists, well, I want to make sure people know how to get a copy of the book, because we got about two minutes left here. So I want to make sure that Good. folks know how to get a copy of the book, and then, yes, I'd love to hear your personal message. Thank okay. you for joining me here today. Living Presence, I guess, on Amazon or any other way yeah. you want to order it. It's easy to find. I hope you'll get it and start there. The final word about remembrance of God. The faculty for of remembrance of God is something that is sustained through expansion and contraction, through joy and grief. This human capacity uh, can move, can be remain conscious through all of these states and strengthen us and heal us and support us and sustain us through all human states. It's not about spirituality. It's not about expansion alone or joy alone. It's about how we are through all the very various changing states of our humanness. But if we can awaken that remembrance of God, then everything has changed. Everything is in a different context. Now the context is love's universe and not yeah. merely my own ego's reactions and wounds. Yeah. And boy, don't we light up inside. Thank you for today and thank you for all that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share and and God bless you for your work. Oh, thanks. We're going to take a short break. We are going to continue our conversation about love, the art of powerful love. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back.
preceding audio was via a Skype call.